Welcome once again to the Bible in our culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson of Liberty Remnant Church, our main sponsor. Why do we have a show called The Bible and Our Culture? Well, I think it's always been important that we view the culture through the lens of the Holy Scriptures. Way too many people want to view the Bible through the lens of today's culture. And we're doing just the opposite. We're trying to apply God's eternal truth as revealed through his Holy Bible to what's happening today. And it's important we have a sentinel on our minds. If we have a thought that is something moral, something spiritual, we have to ask ourselves, does that come from the Bible? Does that come from God? Now, God can speak to us through nature, through a still small voice. He can speak to us through our brothers and sisters in the Lord, our pastors. But the Bible is the authoritative word of God. So every thought that I have about anything moral, anything spiritual, well, it better pass through the filter of a biblical worldview. Otherwise, I'm at risk of being conformed to the pattern of this world, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12. So we're faced with the challenge. We have to swim upstream in our culture. But I think God is ready to empower us. I believe he really wants to empower us to swim upstream, so long as we're not swimming in our own strength, but we're looking to him, submitted to him as to how we ought to live, what we ought to do. At Liberty Remnant Church, as well as this program, we don't see any category as taboo, that every category in culture, whether it's education, entertainment, politics, business, every category belongs to God. And so if there's something that the Bible speaks about, well, we speak about it as well. We're trying to apply the Bible to the culture and not vice versa. I think you've noticed how the meaty, moral, controversial, hot topic issues in today's culture are usually biblical issues, if you understand the Bible. So last week, our first radio program, we talked about Numbers 13 and the tremendous test the children of Israel had. God delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He brought them to the wilderness with signs and wonders and miracles. Now they're at the doorstep of the promised land, and he uh, sent spies. God had Moses send spies, one tribe, excuse me, one spy from each of the 12 tribes. They went into the land, and they were going to scout it out and report back. Well, I think this was a test. As we talked about last week, God tests us not so he knows where our hearts are, but so we do. And I think he knew these people were going to fail. God is the one who sent a representation to decide for the whole nation. I think he was drawing a line, revealing hearts, and separating the remnant from the crowd. That is separating those who are willing to go the narrow path versus those who are willing to go uh, the way of popular culture. So God revealed their wicked hearts as a nation, as a whole, through their representatives. He knew that most of them weren't ready for the promised land. They weren't ready for the responsibility of their own nation. Most still had too much slavery in them. Or maybe they had too much Egypt in them. Or both. But the point was, 
they weren't ready. But there's always been a remnant willing to take the narrow path. And in this story, it was Joshua and Caleb. God still has saints today who are full of courage, ready to submit to him and believe him. In Numbers 13 and 14, it was Joshua and Caleb. Hopefully today, it's you and me. So at the end of chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, the 10 spies who had a negative report, had a, had a slanderous report of the land. They said to Moses and the people, verse 32, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. That's an interesting order. They said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. I think it's a cause and effect situation. You know what a grasshopper is? It's a bug that doesn't fly, but is really annoying. Have you ever walked through a field with a bunch of grasshoppers and they're popping up all over the place? It's annoying. And they said, well, we see ourselves as grasshoppers. And therefore, the enemy saw us as grasshoppers as well. It seems to me, the Bible is showing if we see ourselves as insignificant and unimportant, even though that's a lie, others will see us as insignificant and unimportant. If we say that the news media is too powerful, we don't have any chance. Well, then others are going to think we're not very powerful. If we see there's too much corruption in politics, we ought not to get involved. Well, then we're letting our enemy capitalize on that. But if we see ourselves as God's chosen people, not even giants and fortified strongholds can stop us. That's the courage we should have. I think there's a similar verse in the creation story. Back in Genesis 2, verse 19, the Bible says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So we're like, well, what does that verse have to do with this story about going into the promised land? Well, as the children of Israel said that we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and so they saw us as grasshoppers as well, Here's an interesting story where God who knows everything, eternal, transcendent God who knows the end from the beginning, he brought critters to the man to see what he would call them. Well, God already knew. God's omniscient. He knew what Adam would call them. But it's recorded this way in scripture because it's as if God gave the man so much authority that in this situation, he said, whatever Adam, whatever the man calls this creature, well, then that's its name. And so it's similar for us today. If, if we wake up and we say, oh, somebody drank all my favorite coffee creamer. Oh, it's a bad day. I have a right to have a bad day because someone drank my favorite coffee creamer and left none for me. Well, if you call it a bad day, guess what? You're probably going to have a bad day. We have that kind of authority. And like I mentioned earlier, if we call the uh, 
uh, media too powerful, the teachers union too powerful. So we don't do anything. We never even give God a chance to work his miraculous power through us. I'm encouraging us to say what God says. And we have authority. So as we head into chapter 14 of the book of Numbers, verse 2, it says, All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. This is after they heard the bad report from the ten spies. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. My goodness. You notice how in that story, their emotions followed their focus. They could have focused on all the good things that God had done for them, how faithful he was to bring them out of Egypt, how faithful he was to get them to the door of the promised land. But they focused on all that could go wrong. And therefore, they had the emotion of fear. They even had the emotion of panic. They started to erupt into a panic. At the end of chapter 13, we heard the report of the 10 spies. And the Bible says they wept all night. And then by the morning in chapter 14, they are in a full-fledged mob riot. They're panicking. To me, panic is an indulgence of the flesh. You don't have to panic. You choose to panic. We think of indulgences of the flesh as some lustful sin or losing our temper. Those are all indulgences of the flesh, yes. But I think panicking is as well. And as one person begins to panic, it makes it easier for the next person to panic. And the more people who panic, it spreads like wildfire. And so does complaining. Panic and complaining often go hand in hand. We saw it here in Numbers 13 and 14, and we see it in today's culture. Cowardice is contagious. Complaining is contagious. But so is courage. Courage is contagious. And thank God for this radio station who allows courageous people to speak the word of God and let courage and faith be transferred brother to brother, believer to believer. Well, these 10 spies got the congregation to focus on their abilities instead of God's. Had they focused on God's abilities, focused on God's character, they would have been at peace. But instead, they focused on their own abilities and going up against these giants in large fortified cities, doom and gloom spread throughout the camp. Now, it was bad enough there was no gratitude for all the miracles God did for them. And it was bad enough they chose fear over faith. But now they're losing their minds. They're absolutely losing their minds. Wishing they had died in Egypt or the wilderness? Come on. Might as well go out guns a-blazing and try and attack the people. And they blame Moses and Aaron for all their problems. Moses and Aaron were in the same lot that they were. They were convinced of their death before they even lined up for battle. And if that's not enough, they showed they were out of touch with reality by wanting to return to Egypt. Come on. Why would you return to being slaves? Would they even take you back? God 
destroyed their army in the Red Sea. So if you got back to them, they would be uh, probably not wanting you around. All the plagues they had. But how are you going to get across the Red Sea anyway? So they were not in touch with reality. That's kind of like today. I think there's a lot going on that is not even close to the truth, not even close to reality. And you probably notice most of your fears have little or nothing to do with reality. We often get startled by spiders because they're gross and they crawl across the floor or across your table, across your arm, and it startles you and you're like, oh, spiders, and you get a little bit of a phobia, if we're not careful, an arachnophobia of spiders or mice. Remember as a kid downstairs in the rec room watching TV and this mice came out of the, the mouse came out of the laundry room and startled me. And so I started really, oh, I didn't want a mice to sneak up on me again. Well, am I really wise to be afraid of mice or spiders? I mean, I should be able to defeat dozens of mice, one on 12. Mice have nothing on me. I could kill them. But a lot of people live in fear of mice, fear of spiders, and it doesn't have anything to do with reality. We live in fear of public speaking when it's really not so bad. Most of the people that we're talking to, we'd be fine if we talked to them one-on-one, but there's something about this setting of public speaking that freaks a lot of people out. Now, I'm trying to have compassion on people's fears. I'm just pointing out, hey, they don't have much to do with reality. And a lot of what the children of Israel started to freak out about really wasn't built on reality. We're not much better. We're living in a society where way too many people have lost their grasp on what is real. We send our children off to college, and what do they learn? Nothing's true. (laughs) They learn that there is no such thing as reality. There is no such thing as truth. One person has their perspective. Well, one person has their reality, and you have your reality. One person has their truth, and you have your truth. Well, we can have our different perspectives on reality, our different perspectives on truth, and talk about that. But there's only one truth. You can't make up your own. So in the past, in our cultures, it would have been nice if people shared our same values. But now we're happy if they just simply are willing to live in reality. Is a boy a boy? Come on, is a baby a baby? At least live in reality. Well, here's what we need to understand, I think. You can't reject God's voice and continue to live in reality. Rejecting God's word, rejecting God's truth is a slippery slope, and it'll lead you out of reality. If you don't want to believe God, then you can't believe anything's true. Nothing's true. There has been a war waged on reality by relativists, and it's brought tremendous damage to our society. You know what a relativist is? They say there's no right or wrong. There's no truth. There's no objective reality. And I say baloney. God is the author of truth, and we must understand what's true so we know how to live, so we have our soul anchored to something. I think we see a lack of reality with the whole concept of climate change. They called it global warming, but then they realized that they could get more bang for their buck if they just changed it to climate change. So whether it got warm or whether it got cold, either way, it proves climate change. Let's raise our taxes because we prove that the climate changes 
every spring, summer, winter, and fall. Of course it changes. But they want something to complain about. They want something to panic over. Got to have something to panic about. Ah, yes, the geological environment. That'll provide us with some panic. That'll provide us with some self-righteous dead works that we can do. I'm all for recycling and being good stewards of what God has given us. But there is a lack of reality with a lot of climate change clowns in today's society. I think we saw this a little bit with COVID-19. It's a real disease, but it revealed how an indulgent people are less driven to have something to complain about and something to panic over. I think it's because we've rejected the reality of God. Anything could cause us to get spooked. And of course, the cure for COVID-19 in a lot of ways, the uh, fear, the panic, the, the uh, clumping together, not, not going out and, and being with people, to me that was far more dangerous than the disease itself. So we celebrated the one-year anniversary of overturning Roe v. Wade a few weeks ago, and that was uh, June 24th. But on June 23rd, I received a letter from Senator Patty Murray, excuse me, an email message. I'd, uh, at times I send her emails to ask her to support truth, ask her to support what's right, or to tell her she should stop doing what she's been doing. So she had my email address, and she sent it to me, and I was amazed at this email. Uh, taking a stand for the murder of innocent babies. She said, it's almost been one year since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and ripped away a woman's fundamental right to make her own health care decisions. What? Really? I don't think abortion is about health care decisions. Her party did try and take away our ability to make our own health care decisions with vaccines and masks and so on. She goes on to say, since then, the consequences of this ruling have been swift and cruel. Really? The fact that you can't murder an innocent child in a very barbaric way, that's taken away that is cruel? I only wish it were swifter in getting the justice to these unborn children. She says, our nation is experiencing a full-blown health care crisis. <laughs> what are you talking about? Have you lost your mind? Because some states put restrictions on abortion, this is a full-blown health care crisis? Well, she doesn't care what's real. She doesn't care what's actually happening. Happening. She's only trying to get her base riled up. She's only trying to get people to freak out. She said, women across the country have been denied the health care they need, often putting their lives at risk. That's a quote. There is no place where an abortion puts a woman's life at risk. If there's a complication with technology, the medical care we have, you can deliver the baby through a C-section, premature, and treat both the baby and the mom as patients. But where is all this crisis of health care? Where are the women's lives at risk? Well, nowhere, at least in regards to abortion. But it, it moves the narrative the way she wants. She wants power to shed innocent blood. So she loses her mind. I believe. She goes on to talk about re reproductive health care. <laughs> what is that? It's come to me synonymous with ability to murder babies, but reproductive health care literally means I want to make you healthy to reproduce. Isn't that what reproductive health care literally means? But our society's lost its mind. 
We don't live in reality. So we call reproductive health care something that we wouldn't call what it really is. Ripping apart an innocent baby and, and causing pain. Burning a baby up through saline. Chemicals. We don't call it that. We call it something that it's not, reproductive health care, because it sounds better. But in doing so, we've lost our soul. We've lost our mind. Two Proverbs I want to share with you that I think are really relative here. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So where does knowledge begin? The fear of the Lord. And then in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So where does wisdom begin? With the fear of the Lord. Joshua and Caleb had a fear of the Lord, but these Egypt-conformed Israelites did not. And so it led to the fear of the giants. One cannot begin to have knowledge or wisdom without the fear of the Lord. Oh, there's a lot of intelligent people in universities around our nation. Intelligent in terms of IQ, but they don't have the first bit of knowledge about how the world came to be. They don't have any wisdom about how to live. They've lost it because they don't fear the Lord. Well, these stubborn and stiff-necked people had long been feeding a spirit of complaining over a spirit of gratitude. we got to be careful not to have a spirit of complaining. I believe it's Philippians 2.12 that says, Do all things without complaining or disputing. Don't complain. The children of Israel, these stubborn, stiff-necked, faithless people, fostered complaining when they could have fostered a spirit of gratitude because there were so many awesome miracles that God was doing on their behalf. He was giving them a great promised land flowing with milk and honey. Well, they rejected him. They rejected the promise, and they paid for it dearly. They feared failure over fearing God throughout their journey. So then in verse 7 of chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of this land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> they didn't like the pep talk. But Joshua and Caleb replied in this very volatile panic situation with what we would call positive energy. They were encouraging. They were having enthusiasm. They were having even a rosy, sunny pep talk for them. They should have thanked them. But instead, it offended them so much that they wanted to stone him to death. That's crazy. Joshua and Caleb feared God, so they had little reason to fear the giants. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence. Isn't that weird? That in fear, the fear of the Lord, is confidence. How do you equate fear with confidence? Well, Proverbs 14.26 says they're basically the same thing. If you fear the Lord, you'll have strong confidence. It's almost like we have so much fear, and if all our fear is directed at God, we don't leave anything left over to fear the giants, to fear failure. So these 10 spies didn't fear God, and so they had all sorts of fear. 
Joshua and Caleb had to have recognized the same characteristics that the 10 spies saw. But this remnant of two were full of submission and full of faith. So we talked about last week, very typical of Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where Jesus said to enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So in this story, we say, we see the uh, group, we see many going the way of destruction. God's going to kill the 10 spies and God's going to forbid all the adults, everybody uh, 21 years and older of going to the promised land. They're going to wander in the wilderness 40 years because they didn't have faith because they feared the giants. But there was this remnant, there was this few, Joshua and Caleb, who appreciated what God had done for them and were expecting God to continue to act according to his character. Fear can be so indulgent, even treasured and cherished in our society. The crowd should have thanked Joshua and Caleb for the encouragement. It would have been bad if they merely would have ignored them, but instead, they were so far from the mind of God, they wanted to stone them with stones. Can you believe that? So offended by their positive encouragement, that they wanted to chuck rocks at them until they died. That's pathetic. So Joshua and Caleb stood up in verse 7 and said, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Strange way to look at giants, that they are our bread. You know, there's demonic forces against us, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. God wants them to be our bread. God wants those demons to be plundered by his people. But we think they're supposed to plunder us. They are our prey. We're not their prey. We're supposed to eat them up. We're supposed to see them as our bread. But in order to receive the blessing that God had for them, they would have had to step out of their comfort zone, take on the giants, and plunder the enemy. How about you? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to take on giants? If so, you're going to plunder the enemy. They're going to be bread. Often our promises are in giants. They're in an enemy that we have to take on. If giants are our bread, what happens when we pray the Lord's Prayer? We say, give us this day our daily bread. I think we're asking, Lord, give us daily giants because we can defeat them in your power. We can defeat them through obedience to you. And that's where our blessing is. Well, I pray that you have courage like Joshua and Caleb. I, I pray that you submit to God and watch him do great things through you in this hour, through his church in this hour. Liberty Remnant Church is not a church that just is going to go along with the flow. We're trying to be a New Testament church as the Bible called us. Thank you, Liberty Remnant Church, for supporting this ministry. You can check us out at libertyremnantchurch.org. Until this time next week, thank you and God bless.